Hey, one fans, Andy here. We're going to Cisco Live, and we can't wait to see you there. If we see you wearing an A1 or Cables to Cloud shirt at Cisco Live, we'll enter you in our giveaway that includes a bunch of cool prizes like an A1 branded Yeti cup and an OCG of your choice from our friends at Cisco Press. Don't have a shirt? No problem. Head to the link in our bio and grab yours today. See you soon. This is the Art of Network Engineering Podcast. In this podcast, we'll explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim to bring you information that will expand your skill sets and toolbox and share the stories of fellow network engineers. Welcome to the Art of Network Engineering. I am AJ Murray at No Blinky Blinky, and I am so excited to be joined by the one, the only, Dan Richards at Howdy Packet. Dan, it's been so long I know. since I've gotten to say those words. Where, <laughs> where have you been, man? <sighs> Living under my rock, man. <laughs> <laughs> nah, right? Uh, so uh, we we had a little girl, and yep, yep. we also sold our house and yep. moved Twice now, <laughs> twice. Within oh, like, that's all. Oh, twice. Yeah, within like six months, right? Uh, so yeah, it's been kind of weird, but um, no, it's all good. Little girl's doing good. She's getting big, growing up, eating good. You know, uh, how old is she now? She's eight months. Eight months. Yeah, it's Time crazy. Flies. My my son's about to he's about to turn four next month. It's been it's been a little 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 busy, little hectic, a little crazy. Um, so I kind of took a little step back, you know, not nothing too wild. I, I I've been here, I've been lurking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I made an appearance on uh, Twitter, and uh, oh and then yeah, I, and the, then the I, Matt Damon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt Damon. That's great. Meth Damon, Net Damon. Yeah, but yeah, that was old, great. Oh, Andy. We'll have to put a link to that tweet in the show notes if anybody missed that. That was a that was a good gift. Or, uh, yeah. Well, he got to talking about how he looks like Matt Damon, and I was like, I got to thinking about Breaking Bad, and that, <laughs> and they had they had that character on there, uh, which everyone called him Meth Damon because you know he obviously looks like Matt Damon, but so I thought it was fitting to be Net Damon. Yep, yep, that was great. How have you been, AJ? Man, I've I've been busy. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, you and I connect and and talk every now and then, uh, so you're well aware. I, I'm like real deep into the photography stuff now. I love it. I love it too, man. It's it's so much fun. So um, I'm actually getting ready to sell my photos. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a a benefit craft show coming up in town. So uh, the woman that uh, used to cut my hair, uh, unfortunately, was diagnosed with cancer for a second time, and she's been through a bunch of treatments this past year. Things are on the up and up, uh, looking good. But you know, she's been out of work for so long. Uh, the family needs some support. So the town is rallying together. We're having a benefit craft fair. Uh, I signed up. I'm going to sell a whole bunch of my photography stuff uh, there. And any profits I get from that, I'm going to donate to the family and, and help them see it through until they can, uh, until she can get back to work, which is hopefully later this year. Well, that that's awesome. You're a wonderful yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, to help out her and her family. Uh, you know, it, yeah. not only did she cut my hair, but it was like therapy. I mean, honestly, like <laughs> we, we both have kids that are the same age and, you know, just when oh, I think my yeah. kids are like screwing up or whatever. I, I talked to her and she's like, yeah, my daughters do that too. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's not just, just like me. A, <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that's always nice to uh, relate to another parent. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it, it's been fun. So it was, it was like heartbreaking when she got the second, you know, cancer diagnosis. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, any opportunity we can, we can help out someone else. Like we try to do that. So, but I digress. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a whole bunch of photos printed out. I'm getting ready to sell those uh, there. And then I'm trying to figure out a way, like, how do I continue to do that even after this event? So we shall see. But that's not why we're here. <laughs> we're here to record an episode. And we have uh, a very exciting guest this evening. His name is Ben Schuster. Uh, he is one of the first Cisco certified DevNet experts. And mm-hmm. uh, we want to dive into that with him. Ben, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and, and joining us on the show this evening. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, so um, what what I'd like to do is just kind of get to understand, you know, who you are, what's your background, where you work, what you do, uh, and then you know from there we can kind of roll into why why DevNet. Right, right. Um, so my background is um, started in the military. So I was in the Air Force for about eight years. Um, started out doing satellite communications, um, learning all that basic theory uh, behind IT back before. Well, at the time, there was all this IP-based stuff out there, but mm-hmm. we didn't have any of that. All of our stuff was old serial. So learned a lot of oh, the wow. really good foundational basics there. Um, you know, understanding, you know, a DTE versus DCE device and understanding your timing and how important that is. And then uh, went from that kind of into, uh, into networking because I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, my yeah. dad was doing networking um, when I was growing up. And oh, you know, cool. in the in the '90s, he was doing stuff with Cisco, and I always thought that was cool. I didn't know what it was, but he would talk about it, and I thought it was really cool. I remember he tried to teach me subnetting when I was like 10, and I was like, "I think I think I get it, but I don't understand why I'd ever use this." <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, then uh, yeah, I started getting into routing and switching later on in my Air Force career about probably four or five years before I got out. Um, and then ended up getting out around 2016, did, uh, did some contracting back towards the same place I was working. Um, just kind of switched, switched went, went one cubicle down doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> and over there I was doing um, what they call C, CSSC, uh, commercial solutions for classified. Um, and that's where they do like wireless classified networks. And so you got, oh. um, you can go on like the NSA's website and, and look up their solution designs on how they do that. And, um, it's kind of like a two or a three tiered thing where you got your black network, gray network, and then red networks and how all those come together. And you, and you learn a lot about, you know, managing your certificates properly, having, having all of your stations for checks along the way with security and all of that. So I learned a lot doing that and then uh, pretty much went right over into Cisco to be at a NCE over there and then um, moved up into a technical leader. And I'm a, right now I'm a TL for the law enforcement reason, region uh, oh, within the federal okay. space of Cisco. Yep. So you wow. said a bunch of acronyms right there. What, what, were all, what do all those mean? <laughs> the, yeah, I heard NCE. On, t- on your titles there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. NCE is, so NCE is a uh, oh man, network consulting engineer is what they call okay. that, and that's uh, those are the nerds that Cisco farms out to go on site with you and help you out with your own network on day to day, get embedded in the operations, and and be your liaison back to Cisco and help okay. you. You know, if you run across any any issues throughout the day, you know they're there to help you, or if you got bigger design problems, and they can be with you every step of the way through that. Okay. Um, and then TL, sorry, that's technical leader. It really is kind of a pointless title. It really just means that I help 
other customers and or more customers. And I have other NCEs that I help along the way and help build and bring up and mentor other NCEs. That's really all that means. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so uh, along the way, did you get Cisco certified like while you were in the military after you got out? Was there any like C- CCNA, CCMP? Right. Yeah. I got my um, networking, my, my CCNA I got, um, I don't know, sometime in the military. And then I eventually ended up getting my CCNP um, about a year or two before I got out of the military. Um, and it was one of those things where I just studied really hard, but I never really worked on that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it was one of those it was one of those book knowledge things versus a lot of experience. I didn't have the experience. I had my section, and this is all I work on, right? Um, okay. But I wanted to learn more, so I did a, a ton of self study, um, and that's been a lot of my career. Is, is everything I do is self study on that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, even for my route and switch, IE was all self-study. Okay. So you have CCIE. Right. Yeah. So I have a CCIE in routing and switching and then the DevNet expert. Okay. When did you get that IE? I got that in 2019. 2019. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Six, six, one, four, nine, two. There you go. Nice. So, so some of the previous experience that you've been talking about, I haven't heard you say anything about coding yet. No. So, what what got you into the DevNet side of of things? Oh, like I said, that's all self study. So, um, right. I I absolutely love it, and I think that that's exactly where our customers should be. And I want to get ahead of them. Um, okay. Some of my customers are starting to adopt automation. They're starting to use it. There's some that are a lot farther along than others. Um, and there's some of my customers who have, who are really far with automation on the system side of the house, but the network side of the house is lacking. And so it's really me trying to get ahead of all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I have been working with a lot of my customers to get them to do, to start doing this stuff day to day. And I do a lot of training and helping them understand the basics and, and why and how we're doing these things and where, where all of this track is going. Um, but as far as, you know, do I go and build my own software programs and stuff like that? No, no, that's not me. I, I, I Google stuff and I find examples of other people that the, what they've done and I put it together and then I take that and then my enterprise experience I put on top of that and make something that's scalable, sustainable, and survivable that can take it to the scale of what my customers need. Have you, I like that. Have you played around with... Yeah, sorry. No, no, I, I just like what, it, what he said there, the, the scalable, sustainable, survivable. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Everything I say when, I, when I'm talking with my customers, every solution that I do is everything has to be scalable, sustainable, and survivable. If it doesn't meet one of those three pillars, then you shouldn't implement it. When you're talking about scalability, you know, this needs to be able to go, you might think you're in a lab environment now and doing this little tiny thing, but you need to understand that this may explode. And we've all seen examples of that in our career where, you know, We've all heard about, you know, the root certificate out there for the enterprise it says test root is the name of the root certificate because you never know where your lab environment is going to go. <laughs> and I have seen that. Um, and so I, everything that I do, I want to build it from the start to be as scalable as I could possibly dream of. Um, and then sustainability is all about, you know, you have n number of amp- of manpower, right? We don't expect you to get an influx of a whole bunch of people coming in to help you out anytime soon. That's not the way mm-hmm. the industry's going. So mm-hmm. we keep asking for more work out of our engineers, 
But at the same time, there's only so many engineers and so many hours in a day and we all have families and we want to go out on the weekends, right? So how do you keep this, how do you keep your workload sustainable? And so you have to be able to lower with everything you do, you need to be lowering the amount of O&M requirements to make it sustainable because if I'm not lowering your O&M requirements now with whatever I'm adding on top, then as the next person that's going to come in, when they don't do that, you know, you're just going to end up burning yourself out and or you're going to need to bring in other people, which isn't a survive, isn't a sustainable business model, right? And then survivability is obviously about, you know, keeping your, keeping your stuff up, whether that's reducing your, your mean time to recovery through automation and or increasing your security posture through standardization, having all of all your standardized config sets everywhere and being able to push that out to every device, have everything be the right code, all the right config settings. Everything is set up the way it should be so that it can survive an attack. Uh, wow. That's, that's great. I, it, it all makes sense. I've just never heard it presented like that. And, and that was great. Yeah. I, I actually came up with that a few years ago. So yeah, that was, that was actually, I was writing my resume <laughs> and I came up oh. with that. I'm like, dang, I kind of like that. And I've actually just yeah. stuck with that for quite a few that's, years. <laughs> hey, I, I can see why, man. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. So when you have those conversations with your customers and network engineers, like what, where does that automation journey discussion kind of start, right? Like if you're trying to get them to really latch on and understand, you know, this idea of, of network automation and uh, how, how do you, how do you get that light bulb to turn on? I start with the quick wins. Yeah. Something, something small, just because um, there are some people I've worked with that they don't want automation because they don't either trust it or want it or scared about it. It doesn't really matter. Or they just, they just try to throw policy in your face to say that this is impossible. Right. So I just start with the smallest, quickest win it can be. I don't care what it is, whatever, what's your daily thing that bothers you that you have to do. Let's make a quick win out of that. Let's do something super fast. And then what I try to do is have a very fast turnaround on that from the ask to here's your final product. And what I do with it is I make sure that I run all the security scans and then I go, here you go. Here's all your security scans. Here's your sonar cube report. Here's your, you know, your linters, your best practices. You can have all those reports right there. So when I give it to you, so when they come back and say, oh, well, I don't know if security is going to accept this. I'm like, well, here's your full entire package of how you can get this approved. Um, and so that's the way I start with it. Extremely small, very good use cases and are very simple, easy wins. And then mm-hmm. from there, I start with the source of truth. Everything is around the source of truth of the network and then building out from there. What I want to do is I want to establish my intent on my source of truth. I don't want to go out and take all my network configs and put them in one place, just like it's some other backup repository because whatever's out there might be wrong. What I want to do is I want to build my source of truth to be on my intent of the network. I take that and I start automating based off my intent. So how do you document that process? Like your, your source of truth? What do you, do you use a tool? Do you like, what do you do there? Uh, My favorite's Nautobot. Yeah. That's the way I do it is uh, I use Nautobot as the source of truth. And then um, from there, I got my Git repos where all my actions happen. You know, that's where, that's where all my code is that's going to go actually do the CI CD pipelines and do something. I have AWX up here to kick off any jobs that I want over top. So this is kind of the, the layer that's going to either add something to my source of truth and or kick off a job. 
So this is my abstraction layer. And then you have, and then based off of what you're trying to do, you have other tools and there's a whole suite of tools out there to do it. Whatever one's the simplest. Don't overthink mm-hmm. which one you're doing. Don't, what bothers me is when people say, oh, we need one tool and we're going to work towards one tool and that's going to do all of our automation. Well, there's a whole host of tools out there and they, it's, it's like trying to use a flathead screwdriver on a Phillips screw. You know, there's a, it's going to work, but there's a better, simpler way to do it. So just look at the fact that you have more tools in your tool belt here and learn each one of them and the benefits of them and when you can use each one. And so, you know, I don't limit myself towards what type of tool down here that I use as long as my framework architecture is the same. I have my intent. I have what's going to push it out. And that can change. AWX, Ansible Tower, I don't really, NSO, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then you have Git, which is going to kick off my CI/CD options. Gotcha. And CI/CD, what uh, can you explain that a little bit so people who don't might not know what those acronyms are? Uh, yeah, continuous integration and continuous delivery and/or deployment. Um, typically, with a delineation of those, is one's going to actually push out something to your network automatically, and the other one's going to stop just before deliver, uh, just before deployment. It's going to hold until you say go. Um, and so from that point is those are all your tools that are going to automatically kick off based off your jobs. You know, you could have anything in what they call a pipeline, all your build, your tests, all your stages that you have for, for your production environment, your dev environment, staging environment. It doesn't really matter. Um, and that's, that's based off of how you build your Git repo to how you want Git to do automatic actions off of that. So like in your experience, uh, you know, you're talking about your, your framework and everything like that. Um, do you, do you start like certain sections of a network to pull into that framework or do you just do it in one big bang, get everything in there or like what's your typical, but, but here's, I guess here's another question is, are you doing a bunch of greenfield? Are you doing a bunch of brownfield when, when you're helping customers with this, this kind of, uh, you know, getting them ready for automation? Like, uh, just kind of go through that a little bit with this. Um, so typically with lab environments, quasi greenfield. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can either apply my production configurations into my lab environment, um, or I can have this go out and push my intent to what my lab environment should look like at the end of the day. Shouldn't it be the end state the same? So does it really matter? Um, but to answer your question more directly is uh, Brownfield. You know, everyone I work with already has networks or I wouldn't be there, right? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be employed. So they all have their networks and there's very few that are just like, oh, let's just stand up a new network. Um, so most of mine is all Brownfield. And I get those questions a lot about, you know, how am I going to make this change within my organization? Um and every single one of them I approach differently based off of who the customer is. There's a lot of different customer sentiments and, you know, some people love their policies. Some people love change control. Some people love all sorts of other stuff. Like, you know, they just love the politics of their organization or say they don't love it, but then they become a part of their own politics of their own organization. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it, you just got to approach each one differently. And that's just right. like an outside looking in type thing. Right. Right. Okay. So I, I could see that, right. Like the, you're talking about the politics, that's a big one. Uh, you know, I've, I've experienced that myself of how do you get people on board with something that they don't want to change the way they've done stuff. Right. Um, and especially when you're just talking about putting your entire network into this, you know, automation, uh, framework that, you, uh, you were going over earlier. 
I don't know. So when you do come across that, what, I mean, what, how does that conversation typically go? I mean, they, they obviously have hired you to, to do something, right? So it, someone is ready to move that direction, but how are some of the working with the engineers, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot of questions there. Um, Sorry. So, <laughs> quick, quick, quick clarification. I had I'm, two coffees today, so I'm a little. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not directly hired to do any of this. Uh, I come oh, okay. in and I I give my advice and my best opinion and my best knowledge of what they should be doing and where they're going from a consultancy standpoint. I'm here to help guide you and grow you and make sure you are successful. That's that's what I'm there for. I don't sell stuff. I don't. They don't pay you, for they don't pay for me to go in and do stuff. Now I will go help you do stuff, but that's that's not what I do. What I do is is just take it from hey, I've sat, I've been a customer, right? I've sat in that chair and I have seen all the politics that I have to go through to make things happen. Um, so from that standpoint, um, I can relate with you and then help you drive organizational change. And then I forgot the rest of your questions there. <laughs> so, so the problems that you're brought in to consult on aren't necessarily around network automation. It, it could be any any kind of issue. And then, you know, if if you see an opportunity where network automation could solve the problem, that's when you present it. Right, right. Yeah. So we might be, you, you might call me because you got an issue with ICE and your, which is your identity services engine. Um, so let's say all your 802.1x is, you know, mm-hmm you want to make some change there, but you want it to go across whatever. It doesn't matter. Maybe that's a bad example, but you know, and I might be like, Hey, we can do this faster with automation because you know, you don't have to do this so many different times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I bring up that conversation. And most of the time that's very well received because they have an immediate problem and it's going to take them a while to do it. Right. Um, yeah. And then, then it's going and solving that problem as fast as possible. And you start to get those quick wins and then the organization starts to realize those quick wins. And when they got that realization and they want more, that's when I can start bringing in the concepts of source of truth and the framework and how all that's built out. And by the way, I didn't come up with that framework. If, if you guys are interested in it, it's called uh, Model Driven DevOps. Uh, there's a book out about it, um, Stephen, uh, Stephen King, I believe, one of the authors of it that came out um, mid last year. No, no Stephen Carter. Believe. I was about to say, was it a horror book or something? <laughs> like because there's a Carter and a King in there. Yeah. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember. Anyways, yeah, it's a it's a great book for starting model driven DevOps from the beginning, and it tells a story about you know how you get into this and how you start or or what can happen if you don't if you start small with with automation and you think that you're like, hey, I read this and let, let me just go do this and then you break stuff. It starts kind of small with that and then builds upon it and then builds all these building blocks of your Git repositories, your you know, your source of truth, how you can leverage different technologies such as Ansible and NSO and all that together to create this framework that is scalable, sustainable and survivable. Yep. So I've, I've got the book right here, Model Driven DevOps, Increasing Agility and Security in Your Physical Network Through DevOps. And there are several authors, but there is a Stephen Carter and a Jason King. Oh, it's close. Mike Yonkers and Josh Lothian. Okay, cool. We will have a link to that book in our show notes. Uh, and I just might pick up a copy for myself. That sounds <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's an excellent book. Uh, 
I, I enjoyed reading it. It's a, it's a quick read. It'll probably only take you a couple of days to get through, you know, reading an hour or two a night. And it, uh, I read it on a couple, a couple of flights. Um, and, uh, it's, it's pretty enjoyable and it really does paint a very good picture for the need for model driven DevOps and then how you can go about it. Um, and then there's a whole, along with that book is there's an entire uh, repo of every code that they show in the oh. book that's actually usable. And that's, that's up there and there's a link in the book to get to it. And, and I can probably give you guys the link if I Google it real quick. <laughs> um, if, if you go to GitHub and look up MDD, model driven DevOps, there it is. Um, yeah. GitHub.com slash. Oh, I mean, before I say it, I'm going to be wrong. Yeah. Slash model driven, model dash driven dash DevOps. Um, and there's the there's the MDD base there, and that is a great great starting point. Um, when you're reading through the book, it walks you through these repositories and how they work with the storyline of of a network guy trying to do this in his own environment, and then goes through some of the okay. pitfalls and problems he has with his organization and all that. So it's a really cool way of presenting the concept of model driven DevOps. And did you say it's coming from the perspective of a network engineer? Sort of. Um, so there's like a there's like a sub storyline within the book. There's like all your your technical knowledge and why you should do this and all that type of stuff. But then there's like a sub storyline of a guy trying to learn you know any any form of like you know automation. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we'll have to put that in the uh, show notes as well. If you, yeah. If you will, just email us that link or something, and we'll uh, we'll get it in there. All right, AJ, do you want to talk about some DevNet specific now? Or Yeah, yeah. So so when you decided to go down the DevNet path, did you do all three of the exams? Did you do the associate professional and the DevNet expert? Or did you just dive right in? Um, so I did. I, so I started with the associate. Oh, um, okay. And then I did uh, the specialist, which is the core exam that you have to do. Yep. Um, to take four, yeah. the expert. Um, and then took me a couple tries on the core exam. That one was surprisingly tough. Um, and then going up to the expert, uh, and I was going to take more of the professional certs, but then I learned the expert was coming out and just decided to go for it. <laughs> I'm a glutton um, for punishment that way, I guess. Yeah. It was- <laughs> Wait, which other specialist exam did you do to finish the DevNet professional? I never finished a professional. Oh, okay. I, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. So I just I did the specialist okay. and then did, and then went to take uh, then, the expert lab. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Um, so there is a lab with it. Is this a, a lab like the CCI lab where you have to go to Richardson, Texas and you can only take it there? Or is this one a little bit different because it's more developer based? Right. Yep. You still have to fly down to Richardson, still an eight hour exam. Um, first, first part of it is your design portion. And then the second part is just your configuration portion. Okay. So is it focused on more network automation solutions or is like, I I'm trying to figure out a way to ask you a question about the exam that doesn't violate any sort of like, right. Exam. <laughs> right. Um, so the way that it's kind of broken out as you have your des- your design phase, which you can see in the blueprint, which I can talk about everything on the blueprint I learned. Um, so it, 
uh, within the blueprint, you can see, and we can, I can send you a link to it. If you just Google DevNet expert blueprint, it comes up. Um, but 20% of the exam is design. Uh, 30% of it is infrastructure as code. Uh, let me scroll down. 25% is network automation, 10% containers, and 15% of it's security. And it's all about mm-hmm. automation driven of each aspect of those. So the design portion is all about what you can read right there and what they want. They want you to answer questions about reliability, high availability, resiliency, scalability, latency, rate, rate limiting. I could go on for like an hour reading this thing. It's huge. Um, but it's all about <laughs> understanding software development and then how to develop software on an enterprise scale. So all of those things that you would come with learning how to develop software and or implement some sort of DevOps or automation solution or whatever it is, any any of that, that you would need to know from a cloud perspective, that you would need to know from an on-prem perspective, how do you develop this software? Do you need to have um, circuit breakers in there because you're having, you know, too much, too much throughput coming through or too many requests coming into this, you know, AWS region or whatever and all that type of stuff. And then how you can load balance crossed and all of that type of stuff. That's all, all of those portions that you're going to need to know if you were to develop and put a cloud native app in the cloud. That's intense. <laughs> it's yeah, eight yeah. hours of that, right? It's, it's a monster um, of an exam. I'm not going to lie. It, it sucked my life away. <laughs> yeah. How long so, did it take for you to study for that one? Um, so let's see, from March 2022 till January 2023. Okay, wow. so you're just All fresh right. off of it. Yeah. Yeah, so the, well, the test for it was first offered in March 2022. Okay. Yeah. So it got offered March 2022 and I went and I took it right away just to mm-hmm. see what was on it. I, there's no, well, at the time there was no boot camp you could go to. Sure. There was nothing about it because nobody passed the test. How are they going to mm-hmm. have a boot camp for it, right? Um, there was no bookers. The only study guide you had was the blueprint and then going out and finding your own and understanding it and learning it from scratch, going through the entire thing. Um, wow. Since then, there is one boot camp out there. Um, I would have to look up his name and I can give it to you. A guy out in England, the first guy who ever passed the DevNet IE um, started a boot camp. And I think this is like his fifth or sixth, sixth IE, something like that. Jeez. Oh, but he, he built a boot camp out of it. Um, and it's like a two week boot camp and he's got all the labs built out and everything like that. And he's got thousands of what he says, thousands of tests and different simulations you can go through um, to learn it. Not that I'm, I don't know the guy, we're not friends or anything. I didn't take that course, but it sounds, sounds legit to me, but I never took it. But that's the only one I know of that's credible. The problem is there's a lot of fake ones out there for this exam. Oh, sure. Um, because let's see, so I was the third person to pass it. There's this guy, Andreas in Norway, my name, Mark, who's I think in like Iowa or something. And then me. And at the time there was, there was only three of us had passed in in January, but there was five or six different websites out there selling boot camps. I 
how do you, how are you going to be legitimate when I know whoever wrote that never passed the exam? <laughs> Slim pickings. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there was, wow, there was only the one available, but you can Google it. There's a bunch of them out there. You know, a ton of those domain names around DevNet expert have been sold. <laughs> like you just Google, just pick a domain name and start looking them up. And there's people have coming up with some crazy names around it um, wow. to try to, and they apparently want to build and sell this cool. If you think about it, it's a odd opportunity. There's not that many times a new IE comes out. Right. So, yeah, that's true. I, I guess that's one of was one of my driving factors towards wanting this. Get in early on something new and unique. So, but so having taken, really enjoy go, it. Go ahead. sorry, I said, I also really enjoy it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so, so having taken the, the CCA route switch, how does that exam compare to the the DevNet it is it you know on the same plane is it like a solid expert level exam yes I would say it's on the same plane for the sheer vast amount of knowledge that you sure. could be tested on and required to know um, I would say that this one was harder than my route switch um, oh wow just because there was no boot camp you could go to there was no mm, i and e okay. courses you could watch okay and which you know who passes a route switch ie without watching an i and e video or cbt nuggets <laughs> video these days right <laughs> right everybody yeah. they're the go-tos those guys are great and yeah. um so it's all going and finding your own reading the documentation really trying all the stuff out for yourself um and so that's what made this one a lot harder there's also like at the same time, I think in the future when when boot camps do come out, books come out, and think and there's a whole lot more study material out there for this, I think it's going to be end up being just on par with all the other IEs and how hard they are. I mean, none of them are easy, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, it's still eight hours of banging your fingers against the keyboard, no matter what, you, no matter how you look at it. Um, but yep. Yeah. So, do you think that having your your IE route switch helped you to prepare for this? Uh, DevNet expert exam in, in that you know you understand the challenge in front of you. You studied for something like this before, so you you at least had that experience, right? Yes, I think it helped me with understanding how to study because my first IE I way overstudied for it. This one I, I studied a lot, but it took me a lot of tries for some just simple simple mistakes, um, and it was. The reason why this one was easier in, in that regard from the studying aspect is I knew the challenge I was up against. Um, and I knew how to really read the blueprint to understand what you're looking at. And there's this isn't like some secret thing. There's very direct ways that those words are oh. within a blueprint. Those aren't just arbitrary words there. So if it says... I'm reading the first one, design a solution based on an on-premise hybrid or public cloud deployment, considering these factors, deployment, maintainability, modularity, containers, VM orchestration, automation components, infrastructure requirements. That's the first bullet. Um, All that for one bullet? (laughs) Yes, but that's that's 1.1. Yeah. Um, So, but that... Did you catch that first word? Design. Design, yeah. yeah. That, that means you're probably not going to be going in and hand jamming and configuring that. Yeah. What you need to know is to go and study that and understand that and be able to answer questions about that because it said design a solution. So okay. there's there's a thought and logic and put into these. Um, here's one. 
create a scalable solution for infrastructure automation considering areas such as network network impact, risk, and tool selection. So that one said create. So I need to know how to actually hand jam that. Build, manage, and operate Python-based REST APIs and and web application frameworks. You guys start to get the point about Mm -hmm. how those action, excuse me, how those action verbs apply when you're reading a blueprint, which is something that I was like, oh, duh. Like (laughs) we all have reading comprehension. How come the 90th time I I read (laughs) through this, I didn't actually catch that. Um, But that's, there's a methodology behind how they build these and they're not trying to trick you. They're trying to, trying to tell you how to study with the blueprint. Sure. Excellent. Oh, I like that. That's uh, I guess that's something that I didn't even pick up on before. Cause yeah, I see like recommend a deployment strategy. So you're not, you're not, you know, hand jamming code in that one. And then using get some troubleshooting, consume right. and use a new rest API given the documentation. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that's a whole new way to look at these. Um, Can you take us through like what, when you're studying for this, what does like a typical study session for you look like? Do you, do you have it, you know, plotted out? Are you following uh, the blueprint diagram or, or uh, the blueprint to like a T on this, or do you just like pick a topic and sit down and, and see what all you can learn, do and break? Um, I tried my best to follow a plan, but mm-hmm. like all nerds, I started to go down rabbit holes when I tried to find something or I couldn't figure something out. Right. Which is fine. And that didn't bother me too much doing this. Um, but the way I built out my whole study plan, um, is I kept all my notes in Azure DevOps. Everything I did that I wrote down started with first time when I started doing this, it was all Excel. And I started building out this, this, DevNet expert, the blueprint, and then making more tabs and doing all sorts of other stuff and linking all these other pages and linking documentation and just totally was getting lost. So I switched over to trying to do GitLab and use issues, tracking with issues. And and then I went to trying to use the boards and have milestones for myself and timelines to try to keep myself on track with studying. But I didn't pay for the good version of GitLab. Um, so I started using Azure DevOps and Azure DevOps ended up being an absolute win for me when it comes to studying. I was able to, what I did is I built out my the entire blueprint and I put it into a project plan and Microsoft Project linked that to Azure DevOps. So then my, all my project and all my tasks are there and then I could have my Kanban boards for what I'm studying, actively studying, what I've completed, and then have my notes within there. I can tag issues for things I haven't figured out. And I can have, you know, track my entire study progression start to finish. And it was a little bit of overhead work to get all that in. And maybe it's excessive for some people. But having that all there and being able to track those issues and, you know, being able to link those within the wiki because I built the, the wiki in, in Azure DevOps. I built that out and then everything was, all my notes were in there and then I could tag different tasks. So, you know, 5.1, 4.2.b. I can tag all those so I know where I'm at with studying to the blueprint. And then all your repos are all built right into Azure DevOps. And so it's like everything was just right there and just clicked for me. It made it a real easy way for me to consume it all. Did you get your PMP while you did all that? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. 
Because that sounds like project manager to me right there. <laughs> yeah, no. That's awesome though. That that's very structured. Uh, that, yeah. See, I, str- I I struggle with that when I do studying, trying to come up with a plan on how to tackle it. Because I, I like you mentioned at the very beginning, you know, there's a bullet point, and then I start kind of digging into that bullet point, and then I'm like, hey what if I could do this as well? Or how deep do I need to go in on that bullet point? You know, I, that happens to me all the time. Like I, I feel like I, I got to overstudy it or something. Um, so I, I can relate to that. Right. Um, a lot of it was keeping really good notes with what websites you're going to, cause you'd go to 150 websites a day trying to figure something out mm-hmm. and you'd finally find the answer and you'd wake up in the morning and you're like, I know that was somewhere, but I don't know where that was and you're like digging through your history and there's way too much there to figure out which one it was. It was 3 a.m. and now it's 7 a.m. You got just a few hours of sleep trying to work and then trying to remember where you were. So what I did is I kept all that stuff as I go. I made sure I did everything in the wiki. I just trained myself to have it all in there so that I wouldn't forget it. Everything was every page that I liked was a link. And then I would go back and I'd clean it up if I started to go back and reuse it. And I'd link those to, to things that I remember seeing and ways that and solutions that that could have helped me. Um, and just start building out of this, to me, this pathway forward gotcha. on, you know, cause I had my Kanban board and I'd move stuff over to completed. Like I know I got that question. Correct. Hmm. All right. So I, I know this is right. There's no other way. I, this could not be right. Although I was wrong a few times on that. Um, and so I, yeah, just went, went through all of them and it was, it was a miserable few months. I'll admit it, but I really do enjoy the topic. It's just, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've ever gone through an IE and anyone who ever has knows that it sucks your life away. There is no other part of this. Like you got to have a really loving wife and a and a really understanding family to understand that they need to leave you alone and let you study so you can accomplish this goal of yours, or else mm-hmm. it's going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you how do you go through uh, that journey of studying for any expert level certification and and not burn out and maintain? you know, a sense of balance. I mean, yes, you have to have an understanding family, but you still have to spend time with the family. I mean, you can't lock yourself away a hundred percent for 10 months and study for the thing. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It is. Yeah. My first one, um, I would wake up at three for for my route switch. I'd wake up at 3 a.m. every day and I would study until 7 a.m. where it was time to go to work and every single second at work, when I was free, I'd be studying. I'd get off work, drive back home, and then I would study until about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. And I did that every day during the week. And I worked uh, at a minimum. I forced myself to study eight hours on Saturday. And I did my day off was four hours on Sunday. Mm. And I did that for a year and a half. Wow. Golly. That's what I say when you know, I way overstudied. <laughs> and this one... <laughs> I did not take that approach um, because I knew better, you know, Um, it was, I went and I found out where my weak points were on the exam and I took that and then had my plan, you know, with, with, with Azure DevOps, I had my plan and I'd work towards my plan and it kept me on track way better than where I was just, I don't know, let me go over BGP again. I don't know what I'm going to do today. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so this really kept me on track into where I was and what I was working towards. And then once I thought I was ready, I went back and I took it again and I did a little bit better. And then I had to recalibrate, go back to my Kanban board, drag that stuff back. Nope. Didn't know that as good as I thought I did start back over until eventually I probably passed by the skin of my teeth. I don't know. That's a really hard exam to say that you just know it. It's a t- I don't, I don't know. That's a really tough exam. Wow. Mm. So, so comparison, can you compare like the number of hours you put in studying for the DevNet expert versus the IE? I mean, you said you did like eight hours a day, six days a week, and then a four hour day, one day a week, and you didn't overstudy or you didn't study as much hours wise. Right. Um, so someone asked me the other day, I put around 1100 hours in for the DevNet IE over eight months after work after school work, like, cause I'm in college too. So after school work, then that, so it made for some long days, you know, had a goal and had an understanding wife that was supportive of it. I don't know why I had that goal, but <laughs> I did, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's over with. Um, I can't say I've put a whole lot of it to good use yet. I'm looking forward to putting it to good use. Um, yeah. but I do have a heck of a lot of appreciation for those guys that wrote it. That's for sure. Much as, yeah. as much as I might, you know, might have cursed their name in the past <laughs> when I was studying. It was, but, um, yeah, um, there, there's, there's some good dudes and, uh, they know what they're talking about with a lot of this stuff. It's, it's a very intense exam. Um, the design portion was f- far and above harder than the config portion. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't think I can talk too much about why it's harder. It's just harder. Trust me, okay. it's harder. You okay. might don't you underestimate might the design portion. Yeah, you might think you're right, and it might seem like the most logical answer to you. And I thought I passed the design portion my first attempt. I was like, duh, it's got to be this one. <laughs> no, I think overall in my first attempt, I scored like a 10%. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, just don't underestimate that design portion because it'll get you. But like on your first attempt, you didn't, you had no study or anything like that. You just did it to get your feelers out, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I I had been not like studying for this, but you know, I had my associate, I had my, um, core exam. I had been trying to do this for a while. I had my own lab, my own, my own setup, you know, my, my entire home network is set up infrastructure as code. I, you know, I, I do this stuff quite a bit just for myself, not only for work stuff, but I do it for my own fun. Right. Mm. And so I thought I knew a lot of this type of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I had a whole lot of learning to do. All right. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit, you know, with, with your background and, and what you do for work and consulting and, you know, having all the experience with the, the IE and the DevNet expert. Um, let's say, you know, you're talking to someone that's wanting to get into network automation. You know, wh- wh- where would you guide them? What What would you send them to for resources? Where would you tell them to start? Would it be something like an Ansible or would it just be learn Python or is it something, something else? So I would ask them to, to find a problem you want to solve, right? In the same way we were talking about with helping a customer, mm-hmm. find something that, that you want to do. And I, keep it simple, very simple. Let's just say this isn't even a real world application. Let's just say, Hey, you know, it'd be cool is if I can just configure these VLANs for on this switch. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Well, go to, you know, just look it up, Google it, see, go to chat GPT and ask, <laughs> ask it to write, write one. <laughs> that was one of my questions. I was going to ask you. I've been waiting oh, yeah. all night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ask it to write you a Python script to do this, but then ask it why and how it works um, and learn and understand how that works. And then, but I wouldn't say just to pick one thing. I would say, look at that one thing. Let's say configuring a layer three interface, a loopback or whatever. Learn it with Python. Learn it with Ansible. Learn it with Mm -hmm. Postman. Learn it with Terraform. I don't care which one you do. And then figure out which one you like. Figure out how it works for you. Which ones do you understand Mm -hmm. more? Which ones do you enjoy more? And then learn more about, okay, let's say I want to configure EIGRP. Let's say I want to configure, you know, two different types of devices. Let's say I have, you know, I have a Linux and a Switch. I want to configure both of them. So which tools will allow you to do that? And then build on that story with all of the tools. Find out which ones you like and just keep going. Well, hey, you know, I did this. I did the exact same thing with Ansible. I wonder what this would look like in Python. I wonder what it'd look like in NSO. I wonder what it'd look like in Terraform. And do them all. I wonder what it'd look like if I just wrap this up in a Docker and let GitLab push it out for me. Mm. Just keep with the same problem and just keep trying it different ways. And then you'll be amazed at how fast you start to pick all of this up. You might seem like you're taking on 20 different languages at once, which might seem counterintuitive. And maybe a lot of people wouldn't agree with me. When you start to do that, you start to realize how each one of these tools can fit together and how they can all work together versus I know Ansible. And if it's outside of Ansible, don't ask me. Um, So I just say, go for it. You know, there's a whole lot of resources out there to do the same exact thing. Go try them all. Nothing's stopping you. I I, I like that approach because you're you're taking something that, you know, you know how to configure a layer three interface. You're you're familiar with that as a network engineer, right? But the concepts Mm -hmm. of doing it in those different platforms are new to you. So, you know, you're taking something you know and you're learning how to do it a bunch of different ways. And, and like you said, you'll probably settle on a way that, you know, you like best by trying it all out. Right. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I don't know if this analogy works. Calling it like a like when we all learned routing protocols for the first time, right? You had yep. the first one you learned and man, that was cool. And then someone tries to teach you another one and you're like, wait, but this one I already know how to do. You're like, well, hold on. There's benefits. There's positives and negatives yeah. to each one, and you need to know when to use each one. That's the yeah. same thing with automation and all of the tools out there. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a solid analogy. Yes. Um, for anybody studying for the Cisco DevNet, what what could you recommend to them? You know, within the scope of <laughs> Cisco NTA, right? Like, uh, yeah. So the one I would I would read that model driven DevOps book. It's going to give yeah. you a good good reason of why behind it. Um, then the next major resource that I used was um, the Azure well-architected frameworks. Ah, I used okay. those quite a bit and none of it directly ties to anything. It's not like you're going to find some question that was derived out of there. Mm-hmm. This is just understanding your software development methodologies. And there's a lot in there for designing hybrid cloud or designing on-prem and or and to migrate to cloud or to cloud only cloud native and all of those and how you design your software differently and mm-hmm. I think it's a very well put together um, well well architected framework that's what it's called <laughs> um, but I think they did a very good job with that documentation um, AWS has one as well 
Um, yes. I did not rely on that one as much, but I did compare and contrast, but I just, for some reason, gravitated over to the Azure ones just for the format, I guess. There's no reason why, but I did read those and I read them. It's quite a few hundred pages. I probably read it a dozen times. Oh, um, and then, uh, what other one was there? Actually, let me go find it because I answered this question not too long ago. Um, oh yeah. The Google, Google SRE, I think is a great book to read and understand. And I call it a book, whatever it's free, just go look it up there. And it is a great way to see an arc, a enterprise and then how to go and, uh, and still change in that. And then how to have your operational environment work in a scalable, sustainable, reliable fashion. Um, so I, I really did enjoy the Google SRE books and they were, they were directly applicable to what I was trying to learn. Um, for the DevNet IE. There is the eh, 10-factor app. You should know that one. Um, you know, you should know and understand OSWAP principles. That's right there in the in the um, blueprint. And uh, those were my main reading ones that I can remember besides just Googling and finding other code repos and reusing other people's code and, mm-hmm. you know, going to developer.cisco.com and checking out, you know, all the different videos and courses that they have on like digital dash learning.cisco.com, the, um, the, whatever their learning library that's out there. Um, so, you know, going through the NSO courses, going through, you know, ACI automation and all of that type of stuff. Um, and then that was it. Just had my small little lab and you believe it or not, my lab was tiny for this. It's not like you got to replicate, automation over thousands of devices to see the fact that it's going to happen a thousand times. Right. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, I had right, two, true. two iOS XE, just, um, 1000 Vs. I had two NXOS devices sitting in all in CML. And mm. then I had the, uh, what do they call it? The client, client workstation CWS. Uh, yeah. That um, it's an OVA that you can download from Cisco. That is the exact OVA that you will be using on the test. It oh, is okay. the exact Linux machine that you're going to see. So you can get comfortable with the environment of which you have. Um, all the exact same tools are installed on there. All the same packages and versions and all <coughs> that is all right there for you to see. Um, so you can start to play with this and understand kind of the nuances of the version differences because they, they post that uh, requirements.txt for you so you can see all the versions that you're going to be tested against. So if there's a nuance in the, if you're trying to do, you know, something and it's fixed in this version, but in the version you're using, there's, you can't do it that way or that, that feature hasn't been implemented yet. You need to understand where you're at with your requirements.txt. So highly recommend using that client workstation or what you got pulled up. I think CWS, something like that. When you go get the blueprint, you'll see it right there on the website. Yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, your small lab. Um, what were some of the uh, tools that you used? Like, did you use Ansible in your lab, or or what? What were some of the the different automation tools that you did use? Um, <coughs> when I was directly studying for this, um, so uh, GitLab CI/CD. That's what I learned for all the CI/CD portions. Then I had, um, you know, Ansible for everything. Um, you know, Terraform. Uh, NSO, regular Python, PyATS, all those things that you're going to see in the blueprint. 
Um, and then the ones that you don't have in the blueprint, you know, you're going to have your always on sandboxes for from Cisco. And I used those heavily for all the rest of the things that I didn't have. And you could use the always on sandboxes for your, and if you don't have a CML um, instance set up, I just had CML stood up and um, use that. So it worked great for it. So would you uh, recommend the CML then? Oh, CML is fantastic. I can't believe we, I can't believe we learned anything without it. It's, <laughs> it's an, it's an amazing little piece of software that I shouldn't call it little people put a lot of work into that, but it's amazing piece of software that you can use to put anything that's a, anything you can virtualize network functions and put it in there. And I got, I have windows, uh, windows 2021 or whatever it is, domain controllers in mine. I have, you know, full, um, PKI windows, PKI set up in mine. I have a full SD WAN in hierarchical SD WAN deployed out in it. And I got all these laptops. I, and the one things I don't have in it's something like something like ice and my controllers and all that all sit outside of CML, but it directs mm. connectly into my environment. So I can right. ping from my laptop into ping my virtual devices right now. So it's, it's, it's fully connected and routed. My, the edge CML device, which is a 1000 V has, um, OSPF neighborship with my actual Cisco switch sitting outside of my server. So it gives you full connectivity all the way through. You spin up a, uh, uh, Ubuntu VM in there and sudo app get update and bam, you're off and running. Install, you know, it goes to the internet right and gets it right. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic. I, I absolutely am a huge proponent of CMO. Well, especially in testing were, automation. Well, while you guys were talking, I found the, uh, the details on the candidate workstation, uh, and the requirements.txt that Ben was talking about. So I will definitely put that link in the show notes, but it, it literally goes over all the different virtual machines, the specific versions, uh, what <clears throat> all is on the, uh, candidate workstation, every single application, the specific version of everything. So drop that in the show notes for you to reference and build your own. Definite expert lab. Yeah, they're definitely not trying to like trip trip you up and hide something. It is all right there. <laughs> and it's comprehensive. <laughs> if it is not in that those requirements.txt, it's not going to be in Python. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of understand and start to build your logic around how you're going to study this or what you what you think you might come across to see. But, so I mean, I guess with that in mind, um, if if it's not on the list, you shouldn't study for it, right? Or you shouldn't really put a whole lot of effort to it. And, and I guess to say, is it worth it to try to go learn some other tool? Can While you're in the DevNet lab, can you install you know, your own binaries or, or the tools that you use onto that Linux machine? Or is it you know walled off from the outside world? You can only use what's on there. Yeah, it's totally air-gapped. Um, but to, to your point, yeah, there is some benefit to going out and learning this, the other portions of it, because it's going to be something you wanna, you're going to want to use today. And if you sure. look at that list, it's quite a few versions behind what would be considered standard and secure today. Well, they have mm. to have a cutoff point, right? When they're developing sure. this test, they got to, they got to have a fork and this is how we're going to test it. Because if you're, if you're paying X amount to go take this test and fly out there and get a hotel room and you have a bug that you run across, that looks bad for everybody. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you have unhappy test takers so that they, they, it's quite a few versions behind, but they picked very stable things that they understand and know this is where we might run into an issue and here's how we can alleviate. Anyways, 
or not have that part be on the test. And that, this is just my logic. I don't know that that was my understanding when, when I was yeah, looking yeah. at that. that, makes sense. that um, makes sense. So yeah, don't expect this to be like, Hey, this is what I can use in my environment today. Well, cause it's going to be way out of date. You don't want to do that. And I'm not saying it's way out of date. Like what you're going to learn is unusable. It's out of date. It's in like it's compliance and security. And there's a few newer packages that might make things a little easier for you, you know, as Python grows and develops and stuff like that. And then also remember, to your question is that that requirements.txt is just Python. There's still Ansible, Terraform, mm -hmm. you know, GitLab, CI, CD. There's still a whole yeah. lot of other aspects out there. And, um, you know, looking at the blueprint, you could still see, you know, FMC, DNA, um, yeah. ACI, learning to automate with all of those. Um, so there's still outside of what you're going to see in just Python. You're going to have to maybe do, you know, some sort of long chain of Ansible kicking off a pipeline to go do Terraform to configure I don't know, some switch. Just making stuff <laughs> up, but there's the, you, you never know what scenario you're going to be getting in there. Wow, Ben, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. This this is a lot deeper than than I guess I expected. Although you know, I, I have not actually looked at the DevNet Expert track yet uh, myself. Um, I've done the DevNet Associate. I would like to do the DevNet Professional. I had grand visions of tackling that last year, but uh, work had work had other plans. Um, as we, as we wrap up the show here, uh, Dan, are there any last minute questions you have for Ben? And, and then Ben, um, is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Yeah. Dan? <clears throat> no, no questions here. I'm curious to see if Ben has anything we should have asked him or yeah. <laughs> No, man, I really should have come up with something. So I sounded really smart there, but uh, <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> um, are, are you on uh, social media, LinkedIn, anywhere people can find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing? Do you have like your own uh, Git repo where you, you show off what, you, what you've worked on? No, to pretty much all of that. <laughs> um, uh, oddly enough, yeah. I mean, I nerd. I nerd to um, pay my mortgage, and I, I nerd to retire as soon as possible. But um, my life is outside of a computer as much as possible. Gotcha. Um, I don't do any social media. I don't have anything like that. I don't have. I don't have any public repos. Um, uh, about the closest thing you can find is my LinkedIn, and I have about three words on there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really use that that much. Um, so not, not a real huge presence out there. Um, I, I enjoy doing this stuff, and I enjoy working on it, thankfully, um, because I'm stuck doing it quite often, way too often. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, after work, no, I don't, I don't do any of this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got don't you. Play, don't play me one day. Yeah, well, I stay uh, far away from my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some days I want to drop mine in the lake too. Um, this has been a fun conversation and uh, if you're enjoying the conversation you can support us by uh, leaving a review on Apple iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts rather. Uh, there's also a new Spotify rating system. You can rate the podcast on Spotify and if you haven't done it yet, definitely go check out our new podcast, Cables to Clouds. Uh, it's a hybrid networking podcast with uh, three network engineers that have made the shift to hybrid cloud networking, and they're sharing their experience. They're interviewing guests, and uh, they're having a really good time. Episode three uh, was released earlier this week, and I'm sure by the time this episode drops, they'll be out to like four or five. So uh, you can check the link in our show notes for that. Ben, thank you so much for joining us this evening. This has been a really fun conversation. 
Uh, and we'll catch you all next time on another episode of the Art of Network Engineering podcast. Hey everyone, this is AJ. If you like what you heard today, then make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Smash that bell icon to get notified of all of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of NetEng. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on the web at artofnetworkengineering.com where we post all of our show notes. You can read blog articles from the co-hosts and guests and also a lot more news and info from the networking world. Thanks for listening.